Welcome to Understanding the Bible with Pastor Stephen. Happy Valentine's Day. Today is Season 2, Episode 7, Erotic, Brotherly, and Agape Love. So we're going to cover my favorite one first, which is the erotic love, uh, because that doesn't get talked about very often in the church. To start out with that, God designed us to enjoy sex unlike animals. Disclaimer, that is most animals do not have the pleasure receptors and enjoy sex the way human beings do. We are different from them. And I think it stems from Genesis 1, where God said in verse 27, So God created man in his own image, and the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. I think that desire for sex and God making it pleasurable for us was all intended to help us fulfill the first commandment that he gave to us was to be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and spread over the earth. Right? So the three types of love that are talked about in the Bible are the uh, erotic brotherly and agape love. And the erotic love is from the Greek word eros and that's not actually used in the New Testament. And the reason was in, in that day, the Greek culture, the eroticism, the word for love there, erotic is what we get from it, comes from classical Greek mythology. The god of love and sex was Eros. He was the love child of Aphrodite, the goddess of love, beauty, passion, and, and uh, procreation. And Ares, the infamous god of war. And they had perverted that idea of sensual, passionate, romantic love so much so with their decadence and their immoral lifestyles that when the disciples were talking about love in the Greek language, when they were writing the New Testament, they did not use that word, most probably because of that connotation of Eros, pagan gods. However, in the New Testament... The idea of the erotic passion is shown. And my favorite passage in regards to this with sex in regards to uh, husbands and wives is uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Verse 9 says, but if they cannot contain, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn. And that word burn is referring to with passion. It's saying if you have lust and desire and erotic tendencies and you want sex, it's better that you get married. Well, why? Because you can explore that in marriage. So 1 Corinthians 7 is pretty clear on that. But here's even the, the better part of that passage is at the beginning, in uh, starting in verse 3. It says, Let the husband render unto the wife due benevolence, and likewise the wife also uh, unto the husband. The wife hath not power of her own body, but the husband. And likewise, also the husband hath not power of his own body, but the wife. So that due benevolence is giving gifts, passion, sex, to the body of your spouse. And then verse 5 says, defraud ye not one another. Well, fraud, defrauding someone is to take away something that is theirs. And it says, except it be with consent for a time that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer and come together again, sexually is what this is saying, that Satan tempt you not for your incontinency. So what this is saying is husbands and wives should be having sex together and doing things for each other to please their bodies because your body is not your own. It belongs to your spouse. 
and that you dare not abstain from sex unless you both consent to it for a short period of time for fasting and prayer and make sure that you come back and have more sex together again or else Satan could tempt you because of your desires, your incontinency and your lack of fulfilling those sexual desires. The, the idea of erotic sex in the New Testament is very clear. Now, that's not the only verse. There's others. But you have to understand that they did not actually use that word erotic sex. They were very descriptive about it as opposed to delving into that pagan idolatry and the decadence that was going on with that word eros. Okay. Don't forget that Hebrews 13, 4 says marriage is honorable in all and the bed is undefiled. But a whoremongers and adulterers, God will judge. So sexuality is encouraged in your marriage bed that you guys have a bed and you are naked together and enjoy each other's bodies, right? If you want to get deeper into that, I've actually done five episodes on sex. So if you go back to season one, starting in episode 46 through episode 51, you can, uh, they're, they're titled Sex and Submission. There's lots of stuff in there where I go a lot deeper into this. But this idea of erotic sex in the New Testament is pretty clear. And then if you want to look at the Old Testament, well, this is kind of cool. It actually goes into it quite a bit in the Song of Solomon. So it talks about desire and sexual anticipation. So maybe you could read into that a little bit of foreplay or something if you would. But Song of Solomon chapter 1, starting in verse 2, says, Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for thy love is better than wine. Because of the savor of thy good ointment, thy name is an ointment poured forth. Therefore do the virgins love thee. Draw me, we will run after thee. The king hath brought me into his chamber. Multiple women, the virgins love him. They are drawn to him. She runs after him and he brings her into his inner chambers, his bed chambers, right? And then the Song of Solomon goes into actually describing some of the acts of sex, in chapter two, in verse one, it says, I am the rose of Sharon and the lily of the valleys. As the lily among thorns, so is my love among the daughters, the daughters of Israel, women, right? As the apple tree among the trees of the wood, so is my beloved among the sons. I sat down under his shadow with great delight and his fruit was sweet to my taste. This is most likely talking about fellatio. She sat down, he towered over her as a shadow and she tasted him. That's what it says in verse three. He brought me to the banqueting house and his banner over me was love. Stay me with flagons, comfort me with apples for I am sick of love. His left hand is under my head and his right hand doth embrace me. So it's talking about laying in the bed, putting your arm underneath her and cradling her and then his right hand embracing her sexually. So some foreplay and touching going on there. And then verse seven, I charge you, O you daughters of Jerusalem, by the rose and by the hinds of the field, that you stir not up nor awake my love till he please. So then she's saying probably to the concubines, the daughters of Jerusalem, the other women that were in his bed, do not move, do not wake him up until he is ready. So there are acts of sexuality in here, and this is that definitely erotic or erotica love described in the old Testament. Now it's not Greek, it's Hebrew and I don't know Hebrew, so I can't really go into the words that are used there, but 
it's definitely erotic just from hearing it in English, right? Don't forget, of course, that part of that is the romantic, the idea of uh, admiring the other person's beauty and desiring them, right? So Song of Solomon chapter 4 in verse 3. It says, thy lips are like a thread of scarlet, and thy speech is comely. Thy temples are like a piece of a pomegranate within thy locks. Thy neck is like the tower of David, builded for an armory, whereon the, they hang a thousand bucklers, all shields of mighty men. Thy two breasts are like two young rows that are twins, which feed among the lilies. Until the day break and the shadows flee away, I will get me to the mountain of myrrh, to the hill of frankincense. And thou art all fair, my love, there is no spot in thee. So a description of her physical beauty. That is the erotic love. And it's fun to read about, especially if you're married and you guys enjoy sex together, right? So it's very, a very important part of a relationship is that romantic love. So that's the eros, the erotic love um, that you find in both the Old and the New Testament. Then you come to the brotherly love. Now, you've heard this before, I'm sure. Phileo is the Greek word for brotherly love. And that's where we get the name Philadelphia. So phileo denotes personal attachment. It's more a matter of sentiment or feeling. It's devotion based in the emotions. This one is also important in a lot of relationships, but this one is it does not seem as deep. It's based on your feelings, your emotions, and those change, right? It's the idea of being a friend to someone, um, to having affection for someone, a personal attachment, you know, like family members, right? And the Bible clearly uses that in the description of your love for your family. Matthew 10, 37 says, He that loveth phileo, his father or mother, more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Jesus Christ is saying this. So what you get out of Matthew 10 is that you should have that phileo love, that, that emotional attachment to the affection for your family, right? But if you have that for your family more than you do for Jesus Christ, that that's not right. We should have those feelings and attachments for God because of all the things that he's done for us. And I think one of the, the best examples of, of this is kind of the right and the wrong way to, to use phileo love. It's used by Peter uh, when Jesus Christ was asking him, hey, Peter, do you love me? In John 21, starting in verse 15 through 17, it says, So when they had dined, Jesus saith to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jodas, lovest thou me more than these? And he used the word agape, which is the next one we're going to talk about. And Peter, he saith unto him, Yes, Lord, thou knowest that I phileo thee. I love thee. So Jesus said to him, Feed my lambs. Now, you got to understand the, the context here. Jesus is using the next one, the agape, godly love, which is very deep and it's of the heart and mind and, and your entire being. And he's saying, look, do you really love me? And Simon Peter is using the phileo love. And he replies back with, yeah, man, I love you. You know, like you would to, you know, just a, a casual friend maybe, or, you know, someone that has done something nice for you. Hey, man, I really love you. I appreciate that. So Jesus kind of lets it go. And he said, well, then feed my lambs if you love me. Right. And then verse 16, Jesus said to him again, the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, agape thou me, lovest thou me? He answered unto him, 
Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I phileo you. He said unto him, feed my sheep. So he did it a second time. He's like, I don't think you're getting this, Peter. I'm asking if you really, truly, deeply love me with all of your being. And Peter's like, yeah, man, I love you. Casually, right? Like, yeah, man, you know, you're like a brother to me, right? And and that's not what Jesus was asking. So So Jesus responded again, well, then feed my sheep. You know, take care of the things that I care about. If you care about me, then prove it. And then verse 17, so he does it again. Jesus, he saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? But this time he used Peter's word phileo. This is a tough one because this is where Jesus had been prompting Peter to have a deeper love. And Peter just didn't respond. So Jesus just responded in kind. Look, man, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had asked him the third time, lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee, phileo. Jesus saith unto him, feed my sheep. So this one is kind of sad, but it does have that good aspect that Peter declared his love for God three times. And God's like, okay, cool. Then feed my sheep. Show me that you love me. Show me that I'm your brother. Show me that you have that phileo brotherly love towards me is what he finally said at the end. Now, the third love that this is the agape love that Jesus was trying to get Peter to understand. And this agape represents devotion based on your will. Stated another way, phileo is of the heart, whereas agape is primarily from your head where you understand and you do things. In Romans 13, 8, it says, Owe no man anything but to love one another. For he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. So in Romans, Paul is saying, and this is all the agape love, it says, love everyone, love one another, any man. So it's very clear that this love, and it's also used, uh, love your enemies. That's the agape love. More importantly is that love for God. In Matthew twenty two thirty seven, Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love agape, the Lord thy God, with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. So you've got your heart, your soul, who you really are deep down, right? And your mind, which is your brain. So here you have very clearly that agape love, thou shalt agape the Lord thy God. This is clearly an act of the will your heart and your mind and your soul choosing to love. And this is what people don't understand. Verse 38 says, this is the first and great commandment. It is not a, if you feel like it, it is not a feeling that can come and go. It is a choice to love. The description of that love, the word agape is found in 1 Corinthians 13, and I'm sure you've heard the love chapter before, but I'm going to read it on Valentine's Day. I think it's very important. And understand that every time this translation, the King James Version, uses the word charity, it is using the word agape. So this is saying this is what an agape type love is as opposed to the phileo or the eros love. So 1 Corinthians 13, 1. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, agape, I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. 
And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Charity suffereth long, and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Charity never faileth. But whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but then when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. When I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know even as also I am known. And now abideth faith, hope, charity, agape love. These three, but the greatest of these is charity. So in conclusion, you need all three types of love for your Valentine. If you don't have that Eros love, that sexual romantic love, you're going to have problems in your relationship. The Bible clearly says you need that. If you don't have that brotherly love, the personal attachment, the emotion, the fondness for or affection for somebody, that creates problems. But more importantly, if you haven't chosen and demonstrated through your actions that you have agape love for your Valentine, then do you really love the way God wants you to? Love is a choice evidenced by your actions that nothing can change. It is not conditional upon the other person. It it does not come and go with your feelings. It is something that you have chosen to do, and it should be a decision that cannot be revoked. That's the godly type of love that Jesus Christ has for us. And that's the type of love that you should choose to have for your spouse, for your Valentine today. And if you haven't read it, I would recommend you read 1 Corinthians 13. There's a whole lot in each one of those verses on how to demonstrate that love and what that kind of love is, that it never fails, that it always thinks good of the other person. It does not get angry easily, hopes for the best, believes the best, bears up under the worst times, endures all slights or problems. Charity never fails. I hope that you have found that in your spouse or your significant other. And I hope you have a wonderful Valentine's Day today. And until next time, may God bless you.